Hello and welcome to the Slate Political Grab Fest for October 10th, 2016. Wait, David, you just said Grab Fest. Oh dear, Emily. Yes, I did. You did? (laughs) You see, because... Oh oh dear. (laughs) Locker room talk! I already feel worried. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Seriously. This is the post-debate Grab Fest, a special edition. I'm David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. And hello and welcome to Grumpcast. I'm Jacob Weisberg. We're here. Jacob and I are here with, of course, John Dickerson of Face the Nation. Hello, John. Hey. And Emily Bazelon of the New York Times Magazine. Hello, Emily. Hello, hello. It is the morning after the second debate, the Wash U debate, much anticipated town hall debate. We have now had 12 hours to digest it. John, you were there. After 12 hours, I think most of America, who at least almost everyone who listens to this show probably saw or heard most or all of that debate last night. What is your uh, 12-hour autopsy? Well, I guess my uh, most immediate feeling is just one of kind of, I feel like every shade in the room has been drawn and it's dark outside. It just doesn't, uh, it was a bitter debate from the word go. I mean, and it was bitter because Donald Trump, Questions were raised about his character in this videotape, and he chose to raise questions about Bill Clinton's character and tangentially Hillary Clinton's character in response. And that happened right away. And that set the tone for, you know, just an ugly debate in which the the voters on the stage seemed to be sort of incidental. This was Trump being 100% Donald Trump earlier in the day. Rudy Giuliani had suggested he might be like St. Augustine and and show great contrition and have turned a new page and be uh, a new kind of Donald Trump than the one recorded on that audio tape. Mike Pence said he wanted to see Donald Trump show his heart. He sort of apologized and then went back on the attack. This is what brought him to the dance. This is what makes him incredibly popular with people who want him to be there sledgehammer, but it doesn't for him reach out to the groups that he needs to reach out and that he's been working on for a couple of months to try and reach out to, which is college-educated voters, suburban voters, women in particular. And so in terms of his just what he needed to do politically by inhabiting the full Trump, the counterpunching, interrupting, blunt and powerful Donald Trump, I don't think he um, did anything to help himself with those groups he needs help with. Uh, I think the only St. Augustine Donald Trump knows is St. Augustine, Florida. The, the, <laughs> thank you. During the debate, Trump conceded that he hadn't paid taxes. Uh, he'd taken that $916 million deduction, hadn't paid federal income taxes. He said that he hadn't talked to his vice president, vice presidential running mate, Mike Pence, about, um, about Syria and that Pence was wrong about it. He said he would prosecute Hillary Clinton if he were president. He would order her prosecuted. And uh, he didn't really apologize for the protest tape that went around. Emily, do any of these actual facts, will any of them uh, hang on him? I hope that there's a sort of cumulative effect of making him seem so bombastic as to be both, you know, out of control in a way that I think would be really scary in the White House and also eminently mockable. I mean, there's just something... It's just I felt such a sense of despair, essentially, as I was watching, because I couldn't believe that the first woman running for president had to be on the stage with someone who was being so insulting and demeaning and condescending in every word he said to her. And the kinds of attacks that are almost impossible in that format to respond to effectively. 
the looming over her as a physical presence on the debate stage was really striking to me as well. So I hope that those visuals and that audio gets across to people. And and the the specific facts you just named, the thing that seems new in them is this idea that you just throw your vice presidential nominee under the bus if they've said something you're going to disagree with in the moment. And one could ask whether Mike Pence really wants to continue in that role. Jacob, you uh, tweeted and, and were uh, <laughs> attacked or politely attacked by your critics you you tweeted that you thought that hillary clinton really there shouldn't really be a third debate there was no uh reason for there to be a third debate what did you mean by that why would you say that well david i just think it's turned into such a degrading spectacle and it's adding it's adding very little value to the process the idea of a debate is that you have an airing of policy issues of differences between the candidates that it helps voters understand their choice. And I don't think you can even make a case that these debates or the debate last night was doing that in any way. It's an insult attack from one candidate who is willing to be as vile and as vulgar as he can possibly be. Uh, and there's no substantive discussion. You know, I thought the, the most telling thing in a way that I saw last night was this was the first American presidential debate aired live on Iranian state television. Why did they do that? They did that because it makes American democracy look terrible. But I think Hillary Clinton is at the point where Donald Trump is acting so disrespectfully, so outrageously, and there's so little value to voters in that engagement that she could ju- should just say, look, I've debated you twice. I've, I've made the best case. I'm not going to stand there and be insult- insulted for another debate. John – there was talk on Saturday as the debate loomed and as there was defection after defection after defection from Trump by prominent Republicans that he could be replaced on the ticket or they would try to find some way to replace him on the ticket because the down ballot consequences were so disastrous uh, for the party and, and anything would be better than running Trump and the disgrace that he was going to bring upon the party. Did that talk dissipate after last night, where he gave a performance that was extremely Trumpy, but it, strong and Trumpy. Well, I think it, we're going to figure out sort of today how that goes. There's a conference call among the House conference uh, taking place today. I think what may have happened, and there may have been a Custer in the Box Canyon genius to what Trump did, if that metaphor even works, which is that um, by energizing his base, which he clearly did with the, that performance, it was it was Donald Trump of the 3 a.m. tweet and the stadium rally. So what does that do? Well, it energizes his base incredibly. Well, they were they're already pretty energized. Why do that? Well, what it does is any House member and Paul Ryan is at the end of this chain. Any House member has a bunch of those Trump voters in their district. They worry that those voters will punish them if they cut and run on Donald Trump. So, but the key issue here is about this videotape and why it's damaging and why Republicans are leaving is not just that it's morally repugnant, not just that in private Republican lawmakers tell me that this, of course, doesn't seem like behavior that could have happened 10 years ago, that's in keeping with their uh, assessment of Donald Trump as a person in private, but that this shows um, a volatility 
uh, of Trump, both politically, but also temperamentally in terms of the White House, that they've seen in lots of other examples during this campaign. He doesn't operate within the normal boundaries of either polite society or campaign norms, or, you know, you could argue sort of societal norms. This has happened either whether it's the Gold Star family or attacking the heritage of the judge overseeing Trump University or banning Muslims. He is constantly breaching long-held American ideals, and that there's more to come, because there's always more to come, and that that's both politically too volatile and presidentially dangerous. That's why this is about today and not something that happened 10 years ago. All that stuff is still there as a danger. And yet his performance, which will be seen as as very strong among his supporters, interrupts the move to the exits. What more is there to come? Do you, any of you guys have an inkling? Do you think there will be other major damaging tapes or other other things that, that pop out before the election? And I would say one thing it seems clear to me that whatever comes out has to be an audio or videotape, that there is so much on the record, on paper, of people saying things about him, which has had no effect. It is really these tapes that are that are damaging. Well, there's all this stuff locked up at The Apprentice that sounds like it confirms and would continue, you know, what we already heard. But honestly, we don't need more tapes of Donald Trump. We know exactly who Donald Trump is. I mean, Clinton said that effectively last night, and I think – John's description of what Republicans in the House and in Congress are saying is accurate, too. This this man is the opposite of a mystery. It's the only question is why America would possibly tolerate him in the White House. That, that said, Emily, I think there's still a dam that is breaking or to be broken because everyone around him has had to sign an NDA over the years. And people are still afraid of him. People are afraid of him coming after them legally. And they're just afraid of him as a vindictive and powerful figure. But at some point, they, the collective courage of those people starts to have an impact. And when people come forward, more people come forward. And at this point, I agree with you. It's, you know, it's, it's icing on the cake. It reinforces whatever is, is totally evident. But there then, he then is spending all of his time responding to more of these allegations. The other thing I think is kind of interesting, and you saw it last night, is under this kind of pressure, Trump does repair to his base. And it's the base is the base of deplorables. I mean, last night, he was speaking this kind of Breitbart ease that if you don't follow the campaign, you don't actually know what he's talking about when he says Sidney Blumenthal, Benghazi, ISIS, you know, and it's almost like these are little like notes he strikes. And there are certain people salivate when they hear those bells. But of course, most people don't have, don't have any idea what he's talking about. Emily, why did Clinton pass up the opportunity to specifically name the Republicans who had left Trump in the last couple of days. That I thought was a huge, huge missed opportunity for her to say John McCain. Everyone knows who John McCain is. He's I run, totally run agree. for president. And John Thune, the you know the number two or three in the Senate. Susan Collins, Barbara Comstock. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was a major it was that was the moment where it seemed so obvious. Like in the room, I bet you were doing this too. We were sort of like we were saying those names too. And I I think Clinton was rattled, honestly. And you know, reading this morning that, you know, not only did Trump bring these women who've accused Bill Clinton of 
you know, everything under the sun to the debate. He actually was planning to put them in the Trump family box to have them walk on stage with Bill Clinton, um, you know, to create the reality TV spectacle of like, was Bill Clinton going to shake the hands of Paula Jones? That was his plan. So (laughs) when you think about just incredible insult that is to the Clintons and what what it must feel like to have your husband be this former president of the United States and be expected to be part of a Breitbart stunt. It's kind of amazing to me that she was like standing on her feet and walking through. There was this way in which I just felt like it was so deeply unfair what she was being asked to go through last night that I was willing to give her a pass, although I totally agree with you. It would have been very effective. And it also could have led Trump into starting to insult McCain and some of the other people who've turned against him. But but let's be a little more Machiavellian about it. If the Republican Party and Republicans in the Senate are trying to separate themselves from Trump, it suggests that it may be in Hillary Clinton's interest not to help them separate themselves. That is, you know, I think a big problem she faces is winning, but within it, winning without a mandate. Because mm-hmm. if the vote is just a vote against Trump, what mandate does she have for her policies? Having a, a, a Democratic Senate would be massively important to her, and that may hinge on any one of these races. So I don't think she wants particularly to throw out a lifeline to any of these Republican senators, Kelly Ayotte or John McCain, who were supporting Trump and are now trying to get away from him. John, what's your read on that particular gamesmanship? I mean, you can sort of argue it either way because he did, uh, and the Rep- and the Democrats did at their convention, m- separate Trump from the party and say he's not a conservative and he's not really a Republican and tried to basically keep him from being normalized even in the Republican Party because they realize for those reluctant Republicans whom whom he scares too much, they wanted to say he's like, don't vote for him just out of team spirit, because he's just not a member of the team. But I think Jacob makes a good point also, and there was definitely some heartburn among Democratic Senate strategists and candidates that Hillary Clinton was was doing this too much, and that she was by separating Trump from the other Republicans was kind of making their job harder. But I'm not sure what the gamesmanship was uh, in terms of the uh, of the actual debate itself. I mean, um, didn't you feel generally watching that she was d- playing it super safe? It was it was hard for me to watch. I I mean, it, it was disappointing. I felt you he was rambly and aggressive and belligerent, and you wanted her to just like eviscerate him in some way, like to make fun of him or really fight back. And she obviously had decided not to, that she was going to take the high road. She wasn't going to be baited. But I think that her caution, it felt to me like she was being overcautious, though. I mean, she didn't make any big mistakes. So there was that. But, you know, there's the there's the Marco Rubio example. I mean, he's he's trying to drag you down to his level. And if you respond to him at his level, although it could be very satisfying in the moment and everybody kind of wants it, it's almost definitely a mistake because at that point, people are saying, oh, the problem is both candidates. It's this campaign. The campaign is disgusting. And to refrain from being disgusting in response to someone who's treating you vilely is really hard and takes a lot of discipline. But I sort of admire that she showed that discipline last night. Although, but I, I have to say that that's exactly how the coverage is being uh, yes. played. I'm looking at the New York Times. The New York Times headline is bitter personal tone marks second Trump-Clinton debate, tawdry charges and character attacks in 90-minute spectacle, as though it is... Mutual. Those are yeah. all in, in both directions. Well, that, that, that's what we call false equivalence, right? Yes. John, do you think there is anything to the 
rumors that were circulating that Pence is wants out of this, or is that just pure nonsense? He can't get out. One's gut tells one that if he is the person that of faith that his life suggests he is and that he claims to be, and that that his stomach would turn at hearing the person who he said ha, who he has said has the highest integrity um, say the things he did women about dominating women about preying on women married women in particular so those have the ring of truth however there was also a lot of projection going on and a lot of wishful thinking going on of people saying and a lot of useful when senators were unendorsing trump they were saying but i love mike pence as if to say uh you know don't don't think i'm being disloyal the logistics of trying to let's imagine everybody in the world wanted this to happen except for donald trump the logistics of getting pence at the top of the ticket would have been very hard the Inside Republican rules are very, you can't just boot a guy off the ticket. And then there are a bunch of ballots that are out and votes that have already been cast with Trump at the top of the ticket. And you'd have to adjudicate this issue of changing his name on the ballot and all of that in the all the states individually where you would want to do that. So uh, it would have been an incredible logistical nightmare that might have been impossible to pull off, even if it was a theory. So but that's, I know, a little bit separate than what you were asking, which is, did he have a, a, a moment of, of a crisis of confidence? Uh, whether he had one or not, it was very short. Uh, he is all on board the, the Trump train again, based on what he said after the debate and what he said, I mean, immediately after the debate and then what he said on Monday. And again, I, I one other thing, I just I used the word predatory in the, in the sense of um, that specific audio tape. Uh, which it clearly was that he was boasting about his success at being predatory. But he's, but, but I think also what's interesting in there, and in terms of linking it to what he's done as a candidate, it suggests a view about the benefits and the boundary-breaking possibilities of having power. In the comments that he was making to the bus full of uh, Access Hollywood people, he was basically talking about the power that comes with fame, and that this is the, this is. You know, one of the perks of fame is you can do whatever you want with women and they just let you do it because of your power. So we've seen that in other instances. He's talked about punishing newspapers that print bad things. He's talked about returning waterboarding. He's uh, There have been a series of things that he suggested he can do. We've seen it in his relationship with subcontractors where the power in the relationship allows him to just basically say, well, so sue me. It is a, a thorough habit of his to see power and use power in this way. And of course, that's, again, what makes him appealing to people who have felt powerless in this system, that he will do what is necessary, including break the rules on their behalf. And they're okay with that. Emily, in that vein, one of the most shocking things that was said last night was Trump saying, if he were president, he would order his attorney general essentially to prosecute Hillary Clinton or to find a special prosecutor who would prosecute Hillary Clinton, which is a a directed legal attack on a political rival is something that is characteristic of dictatorial systems, not so much of the American system. Was that as appalling uh, as it sounded in the room? Yes, I was shocked by that. I will reserve the right to be shocked. I mean, the idea that, you know, it's right. The the word disrespect doesn't even begin to capture it because it's using the threat of law enforcement to try to gain political advantage and changing the terms of the debate. I mean, I can't imagine that any presidential candidate has ever said that about an opponent before. And it suggests that 
She should be frightened of him in a way that imagines him holding the reins of government power and exercising it exactly as he chooses. It has this authoritarian looming set of images behind it. And then when he said, you know, you'd be in jail, he was channeling the most angry demonizing of Hillary Clinton among his supporters. He also called her the devil at one point. Um, I mean, <laughs> he right, did? sort of. He yes, called her the devil? Did. Yeah. And he yeah. said she had hate yeah. in her heart. Yeah. He has really um, used, pulled out, There, there is nowhere he's not willing to go in attacking her. And this is not where the American political discourse should be. And it I just feel like there is something so unfortunate about the idea that it's the first woman candidate who is taking these kinds of blows. But I think what you have to say about it, Emily, is that we have a candidate running for president and a candidate running for dictator. And there is a way in which we don't want to recognize that. That's not the American democracy we've lived with. And of course, Trump is running in a democratic election. But you have to recognize that dictators who try to come to power use democratic process if democratic process is helpful to them to get started before starting to behave like dictators once they have power. There's a resistance to recognizing that we have a would-be dictator in our midst this far from the presidency. And it's something uh, different than we have ever dealt with in our lifetimes. That's right. And yet our normal process makes this seem, you know, in some ways he still has the trappings of the Republican regular old nominee. And we kind of keep going back and forth between those things in a way that's giving me at least cognitive dissonance. John, just to bring us to a, a merciful end, which unfortunately <laughs> this campaign is not heading towards one of those. What is going to happen in the next 30 days? So we have about four weeks. We have, we have four weeks in one day until the election. There are two stories, Clinton versus Trump and Trump versus the Republican Party. A big split has happened. The gape is open or the gap is open. or And, and the, those people have left Trump, two dozen of them, you know, unendorsed, essentially. So that will continue because there will be something else. And by something else, I don't just mean some piece of audio tape or videotape, but something else that goes to this central theme of the Trump campaign, which has been one explosion after another. There will be another explosion, either from the present or the past. So I think the things to watch for are the states where they start to spend their time and where they spend, you know, Hillary Clinton is obviously going to try and drive Trump into the, you know, underneath the ground with women using both this recent episode and his behavior in the debate. They've already got a video out Monday morning of Trump, you know, when he basically denied saying anything about sexual assault on the tape. So they just show his denial next to the sexual assault, joking around. One thing I must say, by the way, and there is a sense in which, you know, we are disconnected from the electorate. And that's one of the themes of this campaign. But I did a focus group in Missouri on on Saturday with a group of about 13 really wonderful people from all over the political spectrum. Uh, and there were a couple of women who were undecided, not Trump fans, uh, who said, who just weren't that exercised about the videotape. They said, this is locker room talk. This is before the the the, um, the debate. And they said, you know, this is what men do. And then another woman brought up without being said, she said, the first thing I thought is, well, was, isn't this what Bill Clinton did? And so capacity for people to not get that exercised about this is 
you know, it's out there. So maybe this isn't going to be as useful with women voters, except for the fact that he was already doing very poorly with women voters. Mitt Romney won them by more than 12. Hillary Clinton is up by four to six, depending on the poll. I mean, there's like a there's like an 18 to 20 point swing among women, white women with these candidates. So Hillary Clinton drives that home. I think she's also going to try and mess up his success with uh, blue collar voters. That's a group they haven't won for a long time, but she can keep the margin small. Uh, and then the question is where they, again, where the map, you know, do they spend all their time in Pennsylvania? Does this race come down to just Pennsylvania? You know, or do other states come into play? And then we have the third debate. And what does that do? I think Donald Trump needs the third debate because he can't win with just 40% of the electorate. But, um, you know, who knows? We all go to Vegas, which seems like a fitting place <laughs> to have it does. this where, you know, everybody walks around hollow eyed and uh, and bedraggled after um, after a long night. The last debate being in Vegas. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, Philip Roth wrote the famous essay in the 1960s about how novelists were basically going out of business because they could no longer improve on American reality. And any political novel you had written that that imagined the scene we saw last night or the Trump candidacy in general or a final debate in Vegas would have been immediately rejected as too preposterous and the, the your editor would have said go back to the drawing table and come up with something that is at least plausible. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think that that the last month it could possibly be like a normal campaign? I'd say the uh, the theme of the last month is going to be hacking. You have the Putin Assange Trump, Nexus, and what they may have or be able to get versus what may be in Mark Burnett's vaults from The Apprentice. And there is still a feeling that there these hidden caches of stuff with the potential to create further embarrassment, further degradation on both sides. And I would be surprised if we have nothing more from those vaults over the next 30 days. All right. If there is more stuff from that vault over the next 30 days, we will be talking about it. Thanks for joining us for the special edition of the GabFest and Trumpcast. And we'll be back with a regular show of the GabFest on Thursday. And Jacob, Trumpcast will be back later this week. Whenever whenever Trump news surfaces, (laughs) there will be Trumpcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. 